I had a great plan this morning to have my very first PowerPoint slide be a baby picture, not mine. Um, But I've learned that not everyone does things according to my schedule and my timing. So so we have no baby picture this morning. Have you ever started a job or a, or a task or some project, maybe, maybe something around the house um, that, that you decided you wanted to do or, or some task at work or, or somewhere that you get into it and you realize, wow, this is going to be a lot of work. Or maybe that you just didn't plan out well enough ahead of time what you were going to do. Or maybe you realize that I'm just not prepared to do this job, or uh, I just don't know how to do this job. Um, I'm, I will admit, I'm sort of notorious for that. Uh, as an example, last fall, Thomas decided that he wanted to dethatch and aerate his yard. And I said, well, you know, I really should do that. My my backyard really needs it. You know, volleyball season's coming up. I really need to get the grass in good shape. So I said, well, I'll I'll just do that. I'll I'll go rent the equipment and I'll do my yard. And then since I don't have a job, I'll come and do your yard. So I go, I get a good day to do it. I go to Lowe's. I rent the two death machines that they give you to do this. I bring them back. I think I think, well, this my yard's not that big. Thomas's yard's not that big. This this won't take all that long. About an hour into it, I realized this is going to take forever and I'm going to die before it's over. And I literally thought I might. The first time I started up the machine and it took off, I think I separated my shoulder. So things don't always work out the way we plan them to. We've talked a lot in recent weeks about the work of deacons, and we've looked at why deacons were selected in Acts chapter 6, and we, we highlighted the, the uh, qualifications of deacons, and David's talked about that. We highlighted some things in our presentation to this church in February, things that we want to do and accomplish uh, in this year, maybe you have some personal spiritual goals that you have established for yourself. Um, you know, there are a variety of things that we do. Maybe you want to read the Bible every day for a year. Maybe you want to uh, build up your own knowledge and ability to teach and to teach a class. Um, maybe you want to improve your your prayer life and do things differently. Maybe you just want to set a goal to write encouraging notes to people at different times. We all, we all do that. But in our discussions with the new deacons, when we met with them, there was one thing that came through with every one of them in our discussions, and that was that they were ready to go to work. And they, as David mentioned, I think even last week, they exhibited this desire and this this energy that they had to go to work with a great attitude. But they're not alone. Many of you here exhibit those same 
characteristics and traits and desires. A lot of us have that, and we're thankful for that. But it's also very easy to be distracted with the stuff of life. Um, there's, there's people getting married, there's people having babies, there's people with new jobs, a lot of things that just distract us from focusing in on the work that we have to do and the tasks that we have been given to do. And it's, it's sometimes difficult to keep our minds focused on the tasks that we have been given. Kyle read for us uh, in Matthew chapter 28, as Jesus directed his disciples with a task or a job, we call it a commission. And I highlighted on this slide, I highlighted four words in that message that he gave them, that task that he gave them. When he said, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. <clears throat> the task that he assigned to his apostles required effort and required action. There were things that they had to do. This same task is ours today. We have this same task, this same purpose, this same objective that Jesus gave to his disciples. Our task requires effort, and it requires action. And it does, these things don't happen by accident. They are things that we have to prepare for, we have to plan for, and then we have to execute and do them. And there is, the, the task that we've been given does not have an age limit. I'm not going to sit back and say, well, I'm too young or I'm too old. The task is the same. There, there is no busy limit to it. Well, I'm just too busy. I've got, you know, I've got a family. I've got a job. I've, I've got to play a lot of golf. I've got to, you know, whatever it is. I didn't direct that at you, Chuck. It's just an example. I don't play golf, so I can't use that one. But there are many others. There, there's no busy limit to it. Um, and certainly parts of our task may, may vary and, and may change over time. We, we, all, we all have different talents. We all have different things we do well. Uh, and over time, those things may change as we do, do get older. But for a few moments this morning, I want us to think about how we go about preparing for and accomplishing the task that we have been given to do the work of the Lord. And I want us to look specifically at Nehemiah. If you want to turn to the book of Nehemiah, that's where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. I want us to, to look at the example that we can learn from Nehemiah. There's seven principles or actions that I want to highlight very quickly this morning that we should consider when we think about doing the work of the Lord, things that we need to do in our life from a spiritual perspective perspective for our own spiritual benefit and for the benefit of others and to help us accomplish the tasks that have been set before us. So if you remember, as Nehemiah begins, there, there have already been two waves of people going back to Jerusalem uh, with hopes of rebuilding the city. And as Nehemiah begins, he is asking the question, how are these people doing? 
So if you read with me in Nehemiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, the words of Nehemiah, the sons of Hakaliah, now it, the son of Hakaliah, now it happened in the month of Shislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hananiah, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. So right out of the gate, we understand and we learn from Nehemiah that we need to develop a sincere, genuine interest in our spiritual family, in our brothers and sisters. Nehemiah's first question out of the gate is, how are these people doing that are there? How are my brothers doing? He had a genuine desire and interest in the well-being of the people. And our work in the kingdom should, first of all, be fueled by our sincere love for one another. Do we rejoice when one of our brothers and sisters rejoices? Do we hurt when one of our brothers and sisters is hurting? Do we look out for the best interest of our brothers and sisters ahead of our own interests? Do we put them first? Are we looking to build up our brethren rather than tearing them down? Some people delight in just tearing other people down. That's that's seemingly how they enjoy themselves, how they make themselves feel better is by tearing someone else down. That's not how we act. How do we feel about the lost? Are we genuinely sad because someone is lost? Are we genuinely sad about their spiritual condition? Do we let our light shine to those that are lost so that we can be examples to them of Christ? Do we try to influence them for good in the way that we live our lives? Well, we know for when we look at, at Paul's letters uh, in particular, Paul showed genuine care and concern for the bro- his brothers and sisters. In Romans chapter 1, and beginning in verse 8, He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. And again, to the Philippians, in chapter 2, he said, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. So Paul writes to, to, um, to the Philippians, and he said, I want to send Timothy to you, he is going to be genuinely concerned for your welfare. He says a similar thing in Ephesians in chapter 6. But back to Nehemiah, drop down to verse verse 3 of chapter 1. Nehemiah says, And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. 
And as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And then if you move over to chapter two, beginning in verse um, in verse two, is, is uh, Nehemiah's before the king. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing that you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. Even when the king could see in Nehemiah's face the sadness and the concern that he had for his, his brothers, for his people. So Nehemiah exhibited this genuine interest in the well-being of his brothers, of his family. And so for us, as we think about doing the work of the Lord and doing the work in the kingdom, we need to start with the fact that we have a genuine interest and a genuine concern for, first of all, our spiritual family, our brothers and sisters, the people sitting in these seats today, the people in other places uh, around the world, but also for those that are lost and understanding their condition. And that should, that should create a, a sense of sadness in us and create a, uh, a motivation in us to try and change that. Well, Go back to chapter one of Nehemiah, beginning in verse five. He says in verse four that when he heard this news, he sat down, think about it, he wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. In verse five, and I said, O God of, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, that I may now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. And he continues this prayer uh, again in verse 11. Oh, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayers uh, of your servants who delight to fear your name. Secondly, Nehemiah immediately goes to prayer. When he hears about what is happening, he hears about the condition of the people, he, he wept, he mourned, he fasted, and he prayed. He was praying constantly for his family, for his brothers. We need to, to develop a diligent prayer life for those that we love and for those that we are trying to bring to Christ. So when we walk around in this room and somebody tells us of something that is going on or a family member or a problem, and we say, oh, I'll, I'll be praying for you, do we actually do that? And I have to admit, for a long time, uh, you know, there, there were so many people that, that I would interact with, and I would say, I'll be praying for you. And then I would forget. And I, I, I honestly had to, I had to develop a, a cheat sheet that I keep uh, in, in a little book where I keep a list. And that's the only way I can remember now. So when we tell people we're going to pray for them, do we do it? Do we honestly do it? Uh, or, you know, we, it, it's not just something we say to people. We have to be, be consistent and, and diligent in our prayers for our spiritual family. Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 1 and verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks to, uh, for you, 
remembering you in my prayers. To the Philippians, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. And to the Colossians, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Paul was constantly reminding these people that he was praying for them. So secondly, so first of all, developing this, this sense of concern and care for our spiritual family, but secondly, constantly be in prayer for, these, for our brothers and sisters and for those that we are trying to influence for good, for those that we are trying to bring to Christ. Are we constantly in prayer for them? So thirdly, if you turn, uh, move over into chapter 2 and verse 6 of Nehemiah, as Nehemiah, the king has, you know, said to Nehemiah, what's going on? You know, you can, I can look at your face and say, you're not, something's not right, and you're not sick. And so he tells Nehemiah, or he tells the king what's going on. In verse 6, and the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. <clears throat> Nehemiah knew something needed to be done. He knew that someone needed to go and get this work going. And Nehemiah didn't make excuses. He had a desire to do what God had put in his heart, and he did it. Uh, he didn't make excuses. He didn't sit there and say, well, you know, <clears throat> why, isn't, why, why isn't this work getting done? Or surely there's someone that's going and going to go take care of this. There's somebody else, I'm sure, that's better at this than, than I would be. Um, he said, I, I will do this. He set a time. The king said, when are you going to go and how long are you going to be gone? And Nehemiah said, I'm going to go. He set a time. He gave the king a time. Uh, we can make excuses for anything. I was, when I was much younger, I think Amy and I had probably just been married a short time. I was attending the church that I grew up in in Franklin. <clears throat> I was doing the job that Curtis does with us where he was assigning, uh, I was assigning uh, men to do the various parts of worship. And I had a man come in one day that was supposed to lead the prayer. And I, I went up and said, you know, got you down, will you pray? He said, I'm, I'm sorry. I can't do that today. I left my glasses at home. Well, it wasn't because he was going to read his prayer. It was just he didn't want to do it that day. And so he, made, he, he gave me an excuse. I left my glasses at home. We can make excuses for anything. Certainly, we, we may have limitations. There may be things. I will be low on the totem pole uh, when we're looking for somebody to lead singing. Maybe I'm not even on the totem pole. Well, that, that would, I would hope that would be the case. Um, but we all play a part. There are things we all can do. We can do something and do it without murmuring and complaining. Nehemiah understood the situation. He talked to the king. The king says, when are you going to go? And, he, and Nehemiah set a time to begin. I've always been struck when Jesus called his apostles, called his followers. In Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 19, he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And in verse 20, it says, immediately they left their nets and followed him. We, Jesus understood that 
we were going to make excuses. In Luke chapter 14, he gives the parable of the great banquet. And these invitations go out and the man says, well, you know, I just bought a field, so I, I need to go check on my property. And the next one says, I bought a yoke of oxen and I've got to go see them. And so I bought five yoke of oxen. I can't go. And the, the last one, who I think may have been the only one with the legitimate excuse, he said, I married a wife. I can't go. But we, we understand that at times we make excuses. In Acts chapter 8, when Philip is called to go to the Ethiopian unit, verse 26, now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. In verse 27, and he rose and went. He didn't make excuses. Well, you know, that's a long trip. It's in the desert. Uh, the text says he rose and he went. So we need, to be, we need to have a desire to do the Lord's work. We need to have a desire to do the things that need to be done and not to make excuses of why we can't do it. Going back to Nehemiah in chapter 2, uh, in verse, verses 9 and 10, then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Not everyone's going to be pleased when we go to work. When we go about doing the work of the Lord, not everyone's going to be happy about it. So Nehemiah, Nehemiah is planning to do what God has put in his heart, to go and to work to rebuild the walls and to rebuild Jerusalem. And he encountered opposition. He encountered those that were not happy about that. When we go about doing God's work, not everyone may be pleased, maybe family, maybe friends, maybe whoever we're trying to talk to. We may, you know, we, but we can't let the fear of offending someone or hurting someone's feelings, we can't let, us, let that stop us from doing the Lord's work. Jesus told his, his very disciples that when you go out and do what I'm telling you to do, people are going to hate you. People are going to hate you. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 22, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. After, after Saul is converted and, and Barnabas is taking him to Jerusalem. He attempted to join the disciples in Acts chapter 9, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. Barnabas, Barnabas stands up for him. Barnabas tells him he's okay. He tells him what had happened. Verse 28, so he went in, out, in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord, and he spoke and disputed with the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. They were seeking to kill him. Not everyone's going to be happy when we do what the Lord has asked us to do. Turn over to, back to Nehemiah in chapter 2, in verses, uh, thir beginning in verse 13. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down, and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. 
Then I went into the fountain gate and to the king's pool, and there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. So Nehemiah gets there, and he is going to try to figure out here, what, what does this look like? What, what, what's the condition of this area that I'm getting ready to try and rebuild? So Nehemiah went about planning and preparing for the work, for his work <clears throat> for God. And we need to think about planning and preparing ourselves for the work in the kingdom. <clears throat> I've known people that are really good at planning and, and preparing for something but then we're not very good at actually doing anything. And I've known other people that just want to jump headfirst into doing something without thinking about it or planning ahead. Um, we need to do both. For ourselves personally, we need to think about how do we prepare ourselves for the work that we need to be doing. The Lord's work requires prayer. It requires planning. It requires effort. So what are we doing to prepare ourselves for the Lord's work? There's a saying that says victory is often won the night before because it is about planning. Nehemiah planned out the work that he needed to do. He went out and inspected the area to understand what, what's going to be required here. But then he went to work and actually did the work that they needed to do. Paul would write to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Timothy had to prepare himself. He had been taught from a child. He had to be prepared to handle the word of truth, but, he, but uh, Paul also calls him a worker someone that is going to do the work. So we need to be planning and preparing. What do I need to do in my life? Maybe it is increasing my knowledge and my study of God's word. Maybe it is being more dedicated in my prayer life to God. Maybe it is focusing in on, on how can I talk to somebody about Jesus. We've been studying the evidences and looking at ways that we could uh, we understand where other people are coming from in their beliefs or non-beliefs. How do I translate that into action? Nehemiah planned and prepared for the work that had to be done and then went about doing the work. Also in Nehemiah chapter 2, beginning in verse 17, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruin with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Nehemiah understood the task at hand and understood the magnitude of the job that they had to do. But before they started, he went, he encouraged the people. He stood before the people and he said, I want you to understand that God has been with me. This job is going to be difficult. This task is going to be hard. There are people against us, 
but God has been with me and the king has been with me. And he wanted to remind them that that, that was the case as they go about doing their work. Sometimes the, doing the work of the Lord is very tiring. And sometimes it's very difficult. And sometimes it's very lonely. And sometimes it's very discouraging. So we need to encourage one another. We need to, to make sure that we're lifting each other up as we go about doing the work of the Lord. And make sure that we understand that we are doing the Lord's work. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 6. Um, as Paul wrote to the Ephesians in uh, uh, beginning in verse, in chapter 6, beginning in verse 10, as he's encouraging the Ephesians, and he said, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and uh, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And he goes on with this encouragement to the Ephesians here. So let's make sure that we're encouraging one another as we, as we look out into this evil world that we're living in, that all the influences that are out there on us and our children and our grandchildren, we need to be standing there encouraging one another for the job that we have uh, ahead of us. <clears throat> and then finally, turn over to back in Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 18, which we just read a moment ago. And I, turned, and I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. Nehemiah, as he's beginning this project, in this process, could have easily taken credit for everything that was being done himself. Say, look, look at me, look, look at this project, look at this thing that I'm doing, look at, and as he begins to encourage them, Nehemiah reminds them and tells them that God is the one that is with him. The hand of my God that has been upon me for good. Always remember that God is in control and always give him the glory. Jerusalem was a reproach. Jerusalem was destroyed. There was so much work to be done. Nehemiah is reminding them that God is the one that is in control. And we see in, verse, in chapter 3 and verse 1 uh, that the work actually started. After Nehemiah gives them the speech, encourages them, they say, let us rise up and build. They strengthen their hands for this good work. And the high priest rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hanael. They started the work. They actually, they planned, they, they, they encouraged one another. They said, let's get started. And then they actually went to work. Second Timothy chapter four, 
uh, as Paul is recounting to Timothy about his arrest and his trial, and he said, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. Verse 17, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. We need to understand that God is in control, and we need to give God whatever, whatever we may accomplish in the work of the Lord. Whatever good things we may do for him, we need to understand that he is in control, and we need to give him the glory for that. So very quickly, just to think about things as you think about your own spiritual life and what you need to be doing to build yourself up, to strengthen yourself, to prepare yourself for the work that needs to be done. Set a time to begin. If there's something you need to focus on, Say, I'm, this is, I'm going to start here. The work needs to be done, and I'm going to get started. We need to understand prayer is essential, and whatever we're trying to do, we need God's help. We need to be going to God for help. We need to understand that planning is important, preparing ourselves for whatever it is that needs to be done, and encourage and exhort one another, strengthen, build one another up. And understand anything that we do, anything that's worthwhile, takes effort, takes time, it takes commitment. Uh, and also just remember that everything will not go as planned, no matter how well you plan it out. Something will derail it, Some, you know, COVID will hit, Some, something will happen that will change what you're trying to do. But also remember that God is in control, and most importantly, don't quit. Uh, it, it may get discouraging at times. There may be things that derail us in what we're trying to do for the Lord, but we don't quit. We keep going. We keep going. We keep working. So I hope this is in some way just a reminder to us as we have work to do, we have things that we need, we need to do for the Lord, and we need to understand that um, it, it takes all of us working together building ourselves up, strengthening ourselves, increasing our faith and our knowledge, and preparing ourselves for the work that we have ahead of us. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you need to, you need to commit your life to Christ. You need to be in obedience to him, put him on in baptism. Uh, or if you've done that, but you've not been preparing yourself, and, and maybe you've gotten off track and need to get on track, Number one says, set a time. Now is the time to do that. So if you're here and we can help you in any way, please come to the front as we stand together and sing.